You're listening to Comedy Central. March 10, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tuning in. Thank you for coming out. Thank you so much for coming out. You guys are so good. Take a seat. Let's do this, everybody. I'm Trevor Noah. Our guests tonight have a new book on the history of racism. Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi are joining us, everybody. It's going to be a really fun discussion. Also on tonight's show, you lost half a trillion dollars yesterday. We decide Trump's best words, and the coronavirus is sharing your Uber pool. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the stock market. It's like a casino without the buffets. And for the last 24 hours, it's been on a wild ride. Breaking news tonight, market meltdown. As the coronavirus spreads, stocks take a nosedive. The Dow closing down more than 2,000 points, the market's worst day since the 2008 financial crisis. Wall Street's wild ride continued today. The Dow surged after President Trump talked about an economic stimulus plan. You see stocks rallied in that final hour of trading, up 1,100 points to finish the day at 2518. Man, the stock market is crazy. Yesterday it crashes, then today it surges again. Like, it's so extra right now. <laughs> it's always weird to me how the stock market never seems to have any sense of history, right? Because it's like, everything that happens is happening forever, and then everything that's good is happening forever. It's almost like the way dogs think. That's who seems like they run the stock market, right? Because that's how dogs are. Whatever's happening is happening forever. When you leave the house, they're just like, oh no, you're leaving? You're going? You're going forever. I'm gonna starve. I'm gonna die. Oh my God. And then you come back, they're like, you're home. You're never gonna leave. This is so great. We're gonna do so many. Wait, you're going again? I'm gonna die. <laughs> just breathe, stock market. But yes, the stock market dropped 2,000 points yesterday, wiping out $528 billion, which I'll be honest, I never understand. Cause like, where did it go? <laughs> what do you mean you lost 528 billion? Like, what is, what is that? Every time they say that, I'm like, have you checked your other genes? <laughs> That's where most of the money is. And a lot of people are afraid of the market these days. But I'm, I'm making money consistently on the stock market. I'll, I'll even share my tip with you guys. Forget investing in companies. What I do is I put all my money in green lines that go up and red lines that go down. Yeah, I make a fortune no matter what. I also don't understand finance. And I normally don't feel sorry for Wall Street, but with the coronavirus, I feel like they're going through a lot. Yeah, because the one thing guys on Wall Street like to do when Wall Street is crashing is the one thing you're not allowed to do because of corona. Put your hands on your face. Yeah. So they spent all day yesterday like, oh no, my money, oh no, corona, oh no, my money, oh no, corona, ah! to some international news. Because while corona is shaking up the stock market, Vladimir Putin is shaking up Russia's constitution. Russian President Vladimir Putin has suggested that he is not against a proposed amendment to the constitution that could keep him in power for many years. Vladimir Putin came to parliament and said, if the constitutional court says yes, then it should be possible for the current president, him, to run again. And that means he could run for two more terms in office. That's 12 more years of Vladimir Putin. He could be in power until 2036. Yes, Vladimir Putin 
is trying to change the constitution so that he can stay in power long after he's supposed to leave. And that is bad, but at least now America can see that there's nothing personal because Russia even meddles in its own elections. (laughs) And this is big news because you realize Putin is 67 years old now. So if he gets these additional terms, he'll only leave office when he's 83 years old, which is just young enough to run for president in America. (laughs) I do feel bad for the Russian people who care about democracy though, like especially Putin's supporters, you know? Yeah, because what do they chant at his rallies? Uh, You don't even know what to chant. He's like, four more years, four. He's like, just four? Uh, eight more years, just eight? Uh, you tell us, you tell us. What's interesting about this story as well is that Putin is a dictator, but it's interesting how he still goes through the Russian legislature and the courts to try and change it. It's a reminder that constitutions are only as valuable as the people who safeguard them, right? I mean, like, that would only apply here if America ever got a president with a bunch of lackeys in Congress who let him fill the courts with whoever he wanted. Then Americans would be in big trouble, but that can't (laughs) ever happen. I mean, that's not real, right? Let's move on to some news coming out of Africa because climate change has been affecting weather patterns across the globe. Some people in the motherland are experiencing it more than most. It is a locust invasion of epic proportions and it is swarming East Africa right now. So the United Nations says that these insects could decimate the region's food supply and it's concerned it could become a full-blown plague. For three months now, swarms of desert locusts have been eating their way through East Africa. Here in Kenya's Laikipia County, people bang utensils to try and ward off an increasing menace to their livelihoods. All to no avail. The locusts keep coming. A voracious appetite means these locusts eat the equivalent of their own body weight in a single day. Beans, maize, pasture for animals. Nothing stands a chance. Oh, hell no. (laughs) First corona, now locusts. I hope we're not seeing a reboot of the Old Testament. Yeah, because then as firstborn sons, we'll have to worry. (laughs) Although Trump is probably gonna be like, can we do secondborn this time? (laughs) Go with Jesus, Eric, he's a nice man. Go with him, go with him. And this is one of the things that's really sad about climate change, right? Although it's affecting everyone, the effects are felt in very different ways in developing nations. Because in a first world country, A lot of climate change is abstract. It's like, did you hear that Aspen might not have the best snow for skiing this year? Whereas in Africa, it's like, can you hear anything besides the locusts? What, I can't hear you over the locusts! (laughs) It's a lot harder to deny climate change when locusts are eating all of your food. Like, that's maybe the one thing that Americans need to do to get everyone on board. Just have the locusts come to America and start taking all the tables at Olive Garden. Yeah, (laughs) then you'll see Congress take action. I couldn't get anything! Yeah. And once they show up, locusts are crazy. They can decimate a field of crops. Then they fly 100 miles to eat another crop. Yeah, it won't be the same in America though, because like food in Africa isn't modified. If locusts try to do that with American food, they would eat at one place and they'd be like, uh, I I need to sleep now. I need to sleep. (laughs) I can't can't fly anymore. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. (laughs) The coronavirus. It's like impeachment, but for humanity. And today was yet another day full of major developments in efforts to stop this global plague. So let's catch up on the latest in our ongoing segment, Is This How We Die? (laughs) 
As scientists fight every day to learn more and more about coronavirus, governments around the world are doing their best to contain the crisis. In Israel, anyone entering the country has to go into a 14-day quarantine. In India, they're sending coronavirus alerts to all one billion cell phones. And in Washington, D.C., President Trump has said in order to prevent the spread of the disease, he'll stop shaking hands and go back to grabbing people by the pussy. (laughs) But while governments are doing what they can, as individuals, we've also been told that we, we ourselves can change our behavior to help stop the spread of the coronavirus. You know, for instance, wash your hands for 20 seconds, cough into your elbow, and whatever you do, do not look into a mirror and say coronavirus three times. That's how it comes out. (laughs) And now, the latest instruction is for everyone to get some space. We've come to embrace the term social distancing from the Centers for Disease Control, talking about leaving space in large event areas. That means avoiding group gatherings, plus crowded subways and buses. Social distancing in action. Social distancing. Social distancing. Social distancing. The new coronavirus buzz phrase. Yes, the buzz phrase of the moment is social distancing, also known as don't breathe on me, bitch. And this looks like it could be a pretty big change for our society. Although it's also the perfect excuse if you've been wanting to break up with someone. Just be like, hey, baby, you know I love you, but the World Health Organization, they just, they say we need some space. (laughs) I actually wish social distancing was a thing when I was in middle school. Yeah, because it would have made all the times I ate alone in the bathroom seem way more responsible. I'd be like, I'm not a loser, I'm social distancing. (laughs) Now, although it sounds fancy, all social distancing means is keeping people from congregating together in one place. Sort of like the opposite of what you guys are doing right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, not, yeah! Live a little! It's why you've been hearing about all kinds of events being canceled lately. Coachella postponed, South by Southwest canceled. Even Bernie and Biden both canceled their rallies tonight which actually didn't hurt Bernie Sanders at all because his voice is so loud, whether you come to the rally or not, you're still gonna hear his message. Yeah, yeah, he's just out there like telling you, we need Medicare for, I bet there's aliens in space who now support Medicare for all. They're just there like, this earthling makes a good point. Medicare should cover our anal probes. We're paying too much. And now people are taking social distancing so seriously, even schools all over America are kicking kids out. Schools from coast to coast are closing this morning to clean the classrooms. Ohio State University just became the latest college to cancel in-person classes. Harvard, now among the colleges and universities, telling students, don't come back from spring break. Parents with children at Treadwell Middle and elementary schools are not playing around. And don't nobody want their child to be sick, and don't nobody want to take their virus to their house. Many wiped their kids down, and some even sprayed them with disinfectant spray as they took them home Monday. Yo. Yo. Yo, the parents at this school are really serious. Like the mom's fighting with the virus, this dad is not taking chances. You see how much spray he used? His kid is never getting corona or a date to the prom. And that spraying technique will only work if you have one or two kids, right? But if you're like those religious families on TLC, you have to invest in a crop duster. That's what you're gonna need. But it's not just schools. More and more companies are telling their employees to work from home. The only issue is much of the American workforce can't afford to take that advice. 
As unease grows about job security, many workers are wondering if they get paid if they're forced to stay home because of coronavirus. U.S. federal law currently does not guarantee sick leave. Less than 60% of blue-collar workers get paid time off. We're talking about rideshare drivers, cashiers, and servers. So I work for Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, DoorDash, Postmate, Amazon Flex. We don't have the luxury to stay home even when we are sick, not just like from coronavirus, from any kind of infected disease. Okay, does that guy work for every app on our phones? Did you hear his list? So what, like you get an Uber home, he's driving, then you order dinner on Grubhub, he shows up with the food, you open Tinder later for some action, he's like, me again! I wouldn't even be surprised if he's also your calculator app. He's just like, what's 250 divided by seven? He's like, okay, hold on, Trevor, let me think. Carry the one, we're moving that. But in all seriousness, all seriousness, right? Social distancing is not an option for much of America's workforce. Because without paid leave, many people have to work despite the danger, which is insane when you think about it. Like, imagine if Godzilla was attacking a city, but delivery people still had to keep doing their jobs. And I'm just like, ah, Godzilla, Godzilla! Oh, here's your pad thai. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, some of the soup spilled because of the kaiju. Thank you very much. (laughs) Ah! And everyone, from schools to businesses, festivals, political rallies, everyone is doing their part to keep their social distance. But it turns out, One of the groups who's most at risk, just DGAF. The CDC recommends people over the age of 60 practice social distancing. There are few signs seniors are listening. At this softball game at the Villages outside Orlando, most of the players are in their 60s, 70s, even 80s. The only thing they say they've been told to cut back on is their post-game high five. 72-year-old Rick Samford isn't keen on any suggestion he changes lifestyle. Well, I'll be frank and say I think that's bogus, and I think it's uh, something that each individual has to decide upon their own. Wait, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, that's insane. You don't just get to decide what you think about a disease. That's not a thing. No one's in the doctor's office like, Doc, be honest, is it bad? And the doctor's like, yeah, it's up to you. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually funny how all of us here are working on social distancing to protect old people who are the most at risk. But then old people are just out there living their best life. Yeah. They're just like, good luck distancing yourself from these hips. Ah. These hips. These, ah, these hips, these hips. Ah. And you know, folks, that's the problem with this generation. We've sacrificed so much for them. And all they care about is they're dancing and they're goofing around. (laughs) And you know what, Grandpa Rick? If that's the way you want to play it, then we'll have no option but to get that spray dad and hose you geriatric delinquents down. Moving right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. It's officially March, which means it's time to fill out your bracket for the big NCAA tournament. But what if you don't like watching basketball, hmm? Maybe you think it hurts the ball every time they bounce it on the floor. (laughs) Yes, you're a weirdo, but still, we have just the tournament for you. I'd like to introduce The Daily Show's Trump's best word bracket. (laughs) You see, you see, President Trump has the best words. And how do we know this? Because he told us. 
I know words. I have the best words. I, you know, I went to an Ivy League college. I know a lot of words. I have like this incredible vocabulary. I guarantee I have a vocabulary better than all of them. Believe it or not, I watch my words very carefully. There are those that think I'm a very stable genius. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Trump may be bad at disease control, immigration, domestic policy, and literally everything else, but when it comes to words, he truly is the best. So for March, just for March, we're hosting a tournament to pick his best, best word. Because let me tell you, he's got a lot of them. In uh, 1870, President Ulysses S. Grant, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he was awarded the Bronze Star and the Combat Infantry Ben Badge, Heart, Lung, and Liver Transplants. You're gonna see some statistics coming out by an anomalous, really an anomalous. You know, we just sent another stock rocket. You, you saw that, right? The stock market. I hope they now go and take a look at the oranges, or the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings. Expectations in the House for the Midtown and Midterm year. And God bless the United States. Thank you very much. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I've... I've never heard better words. <laughs> that clip makes me proud to live in the United States. <laughs> and I know a lot, of, a lot of what happened there had the haters going, oh, does Trump have dentures? Was his mouth dry? Did Russia attack his tongue? No. <laughs> Trump just came up with a better word for the country and he used it. <laughs> because our president has the best words and thank God he does. You see, with so much uncertainty in the world, the volatility of the schlock rocket, <laughs> all the negative climate statistics, <laughs> and so many Americans waiting for organ transplants, it's comforting to know that we have a president who comes from a higher place, unlike the rest of us who come from humble oranges. <laughs> and I could play, I could play clips of Trump all day saying Trumpy words, but I'm not gonna do that. Okay, I am gonna do that. Declaring their whole state to be a sanctuary for criminal wave all applicable state taxes. Made a pivotal, really, and I mean, this was pivotal. A lot of work has been done, a lot of renovation, if you look at some of it. The shield and shelter, criminal, look, look, look. Heroin alone, if you look at the heroin epidemic. Venezuela's, by Venezuela's, so. Venezuela's. As Hurricane Irma approaches, in April of 2014, these historic accomplishments shades working to improve this country and your terrific government. And then they announced there was no buys, no. See that? Trump is so great at words, he doesn't even need to open his mouth to say that. And by the way, I wanna take a second to congratulate our graphics department for fitting that word on the screen. Yeah. Fairly powerful, well done, guys. Three, three of our designers died in the attempt, but it was worth it. <laughs> and of course, who can forget the devastation of Hurricane Irma? <laughs> so many herms were destroyed. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I didn't mean to be a bermer. <laughs> so what is Trump's best word? Well, there are 64 for you to choose from, and we've put them together in a bracket. All you can do is pick the best noun, adjective, or whatever you like. Just go to dailyshowbracket.com, 
And there, you can watch every video of the clips and every word, and you let us know which ones you think are the best. Round one is open now, so please go and start picking. Because Donald Trump has done many great things, but the words he gives us will live on as his most important accompaniment change. <laughs> we'll be right back. are critically acclaimed best-selling authors whose new book is called Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Please welcome Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. Welcome, 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 gentlemen, to The Daily Show. Thank you, thank you. Uh, great to see you again, but let's jump into this book, which a lot of people w would think, would see the cover and go like, why would I read this? Racism, anti-racism, and you. The first thing you say is, this is not a history book. What does that mean? Uh, look, I, I chose to start the book that way because this book is geared toward younger people. Mm -hmm and younger people don't like to read history books. Right. And so you start off by saying, don't worry, this is not a history book, and then you okey-doke them, right? Uh, <laughs> and the, the other part of it, the other part of it, though, is that, is that we talk about history as if it's in a bubble, but the truth is that history is perennial. It runs through our lives, our lives every single day, and it's right. more about it being a present book that history actually impacts. That's really interesting, because that has been fascinating reading through this. I didn't know what to expect. You know, you, you read books that tell you about the history of America, you read books that only focus on racism today, or maybe even Jim Crow, but this book really just takes you through everything in a way that, that seems like it's, it's palatable. Like, has it been designed in such a way that you can just read it and understand without, without feeling too much? Is, is that what you've tried to do for younger readers? I mean, racism is historical. And, and what that means is it's, it's rooted in the past, but you can constantly see it operating in right. your daily life. And you can constantly see how it's gonna operate tomorrow. And that's what we wanted to sort of show for young people, that this history book is in the present. It's operating in the future, so they can understand their, their everyday lives. When you, when you wrote the book, you know, the two of you came together, Jason and Ibram and you, and you, and you worked on this, telling this story of racism. And, and you, you have such short chapters in the book, which is really interesting. It doesn't follow the formats of a normal book. Sometimes a chapter is 10 pages. Sometimes it's, it's longer. Some, you know, sometimes the way you write on a page, like the words pop out, they change. It really does engage you in a certain way. Were you trying to break the mind and how it's consuming information when you created the book? For sure. But, but I'm also trying to make sure that we're working with uh, the realities of young folks, which is an overstimulated world, right? I, I can't compete oh. with cell phones, video games, YouTube, YouTube, uh, Fortnite, and all these things that they yes. have going on with their lives every single day. My job isn't to compete, though. That's a silly and futile argument. My job is to work with those things by creating multiple stimuli within the pages of a book. Why not? Why? That's brilliant. I think you... With, without even realizing it, you, you might have hit on another opportunity. You, you just add, like, an expansion onto Fortnite that just teaches you about racism. Exactly. So you have, like, skins from the past, and then kids can learn. There's, Don't like, challenges. Don't give too much away. Don't give <laughs> <laughs> That's um, next up. Ibram, young people are gonna read this book, and some of them may feel deflated. They may go, like, man, racism was so bad back then, so bad during slavery, so bad during Jim Crow, segregation, et cetera, and it feels like it's so bad today how can I maintain hope in this world? You know, whether, whether as a, a black kid or whether as a kid who's not black and going like, I'm an ally, I want this world to be a better place. 
So that's why we didn't just want to write a history about racism. We wanted to write a history about anti-racism. We wanted to show them how people have been fighting against anti-racism from, mm -hmm. from, its, from its origins. And people are fighting against it today. And they can be a part of that fight. And, and here is essentially how people have done it in the past, hear how they've been effective, and here's how you can be effective today. When you look through the stories, when you dig into the history of racism, does it, does it have, the way we understand racism today, does it have a, a definitive start date? Is there a moment in time, or is it just an evolution of people hating each other because they're not the same? So there is a start date, the transatlantic slave trade. You know, that's when you had all these different ethnic groups in Africa that were imagined as one people, mm -hmm. one inferior people, that was worthy of enslavement. And then simultaneously, the racist policies that undergirded the transatlantic slave trade. And we talk about these original racists in the text. And, and young people are like, whoa, there, there was like a, there was like original first racist I had right. never knew. And, and you know, that's one of the fascinating things I think about this text. One thing you do really well in the book, in my opinion, is you break it down so that people can see what is oftentimes underlying racism or, or, or a racism that some people may not even realize that they have been indoctrinated into. Mm. You know, you, you talk about the Southern strategy. You talk about how Nixon and many Republicans realized that they couldn't just say these things. They couldn't call black people the N-word outwardly. They had to say ghettos and they had to say thugs and those the code words and language that was used. When breaking that down for kids, do you think that'll help them understand some of those implications that are still in place today? I do. I do think that breaking it down will help them sort of grapple with it and understand. But I also think that we can create new code, right? And so, and so what I'm saying is that this book, the intention of this book is to create new code, right? Anti-racist is a new code, right? For, for, for uh, a person who's really fighting for true equity, right. for true love. Right. And I think I think that's our, our real task. People talk about indoctrination all the time. This idea that like, oh, this is I don't want this book in my classroom because it's indoctrination. Well, isn't everything. So what if we were able to create new indoctrination for equity and justice? Wow. Powerful. I, I love this. I've never read about history like this. I've never read about the now like this. And it really breaks racism down into a beautiful way that I think kids of all races will enjoy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. I hope everybody reads it. It should be in every school. I'll tell you that much. Thank you so much for being on the show. STEM is available now. You really want to go out and get it. Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kennedy, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 